I'm your host, Mr. James, and you are listening to Right in the Schoolies. In a bit of a change, this week I've decided to interview a fellow professional. We share a common link, and that link is, bizarrely, in a very, very wondrous part of the world, otherwise known as Swindon. So ten years ago, I began my teacher training, which is mad. Ten years? Jeez. Anyway, it turns out that my next guest and I have both had experiences of teaching in this particular school, although we no longer work there anymore. She is now plying her trade just up the road at a place that was affectionately known as St. Joe's when I was at my other school, which was Lydiard Park Academy, uh, formerly Greendown School. And I really thought actually it would be a good time to talk to somebody who's a fellow English teacher and is trying things in a part of the world that I know relatively well. And so today's interview took a bit longer, largely because we ended up having some shop talk. Some of it I thought was worth leaving in. A lot of it was me rambling, which I mostly cut down, but it was good to hear from somebody who could apply what happened to them at school into how they go about their teaching practice today. Normally, I would say this person is well known for, but you may never have heard of this person before, although I'm sure she's a hero to all of her students. My guest this week is Teresa Ash. Yeah, I do, do. I was quite a nerdy sort of um, student, um, not a rebel or anything like that. So I was thinking, I think I'd listened to one of your podcasts. I was like, oh gosh, you know, I don't think I can compete with that, but... I anyway, think, I think I get a lot of people who paint themselves as this enfant terrible at school because it's quite cool to do that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were. Um, yeah. But that's but that is part of the fun of the interview process. You get people speaking about a memory which may or may not be completely accurate, and people like to embellish uh, things that they thought they did that were bad and, and other such things. But Teresa, really, I want to start right at the very, very beginning. I tend to focus on secondary school because it's where the memories tend to get more made, but we can go back and forth primary and and, and so on. Tell us, if you wouldn't mind, where did you go to school? And if you wouldn't mind revealing when? No, not at all. Um, So I went to school um, at St. Thomas Small, a Catholic comprehensive, um, and that's in Willenhall, sort of in the heart of the Black Country, in the West Midlands. Um, it's about six miles from where I lived at the time in Warsaw. Um, and I stayed from what was known as year one then, first year, not year one, sorry, first year, mm. um, as opposed to year seven, um, and stayed all the way through to sixth form um, and to sort of upper six. And I left in 1986. Okay. So basically two years before national curriculum, um, sort of six years um, before Ofsted. If you don't mind me saying as well, two years before I was born, but we won't oh, we won't talk about that for very long. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, That's so- how I feel sometimes uh, during the classroom when some of the students in front of me, are, I'm like, sort of, oh, okay, you, you don't even know that. I'm like, okay, that, that's how old I am. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm, I have to deal with the fact that some of the students in my class were born in the year that I was leaving university and I just go, hang on a yeah. minute, that's not right. See, like, oh, you're, yeah. get, you're getting old too, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, I often, and some of them, I actually taught their parents and I'm like, gosh, this is not good now. <laughs> Well, this is the lot of a teacher, isn't it? Especially if you live in the, and you work in the same area for a long time. My mum was yes. a teacher for 30 years in the same school and said that 
she would walk down Southampton High Street and she'd suddenly like, you know, hear full grown blokes go, all right, miss, you know, people with yeah. kids of their own, know. you know, remember her. So one thing I've noticed, being my, my mum's from Birmingham, obviously I know the black country in Birmingham, they're yeah. not the same thing. I'm very aware of, yeah. of Midlands politics, yes, don't worry. Exactly. I'm, I'm, yeah. aware, I'm, aware of, I'm aware of black country, yam yam sort of stuff yeah. like that. But um, I, I was wondering, um, how long have you lived in the Don? Because your accent to me ah. sounds like an interesting blend of the two, actually. Yes, it is, isn't it? It's interesting. Like at the moment, um, it's it, it sort of you you can hear a sort of twang on, on the sort of dialect occasionally at the end. And, and it will come out when I'm either quite animated and sort of excited about something. It, it always takes me by surprise. <laughs> um, but I've, I've lived in um, Swindon. Um, it was sort of kind of at the start of my career when I was a HR manager and that was sort of um, 1992 um, I'd gone in well I was sort of training in 1990 after I'd graduated but yeah I've been in Swindon um, since 1992 so um, it's funny at heart I'm always a black country girl um, even though my sister who's still there thinks I'm a traitor because I've lost my accent um, and it, I find that accents like lots of people really infectious so that I'll be talking to my mum who lives now on the west coast of Ireland in Mayo and she's still got her accent and my sister and it, it's within sort of minutes it will kind of come back again um, but yeah it, it's, it's a funny thing and then I, I kind of don't like to think my two boys now are sort of grown up in in their 20s and I think oh it's sort of dawned on me that they were actually born in Swindon. So I was like, oh, you know, that sort of identity and sort of linked to where you're born. I kind of thought that they shared the same as I did, but no, so they're, they were born and bred in the Don. Um, it's a bit funny like, when, when you have yeah. that sort of change of, of I mean, obviously my, well, I've, I've got a dad from Lancashire and my mum's from Birmingham and both, you know, yeah. ended up, ended up raising a family down in Winchester, Hampshire, which yeah, is, which very. is a very, a very, a very Eclectic. different. So, yeah. so my, myself and my sister grew up, you know, speaking like Hampshire folk uh, it, I always found it fascinating from a young age yeah. and maybe this leads to a, a a conversation later down the line about why why we find English and the English language so so interesting mm-hmm. going back to your school and certainly yes. your your early your early days of school what, what was your first impression what do you remember about say the building um the uniform you know that first day I think gets branded on your brain yes de- definitely well because I um lived I suppose maybe it's not that much of a distance now, really. Six miles isn't that much. But um, in line with lots of sort of Catholic schools, they pulled from a wider catchment area. Um, and I came in by coach. So it was sort of six miles away. And in fact, if I missed the coach, which happened occasionally, um, I'd have to get three buses to be able to get to school. Um, so it was sort of came in um, by coach. And what was particularly unique, I think it's changed now. I was actually having a little look at it on Google Maps. I'm thinking about today, but um, it was actually based over two sites. So there was a, a sort of a, a kind of key stage three site for um, what was year seven to nine. We called it first, second and third year. But it also had the sixth form um, there as well. So for upper and lower six. And then there was a, a bridge, this big sort of metal bridge um, that would take students to and from the other site for, for key stage four, which was smaller. Yeah. Um, and I think it was it was sort of quite unique, really, from that point of view. So as a result, in my mind, whether it was just because I have a sort of a, a childhood sort of um, slant on this, but for me, it seemed like vast, like mm. um, the building itself, particularly the um, uh, the 
low associative site with um, key stage three, but the fields outside the outdoor area, the playground, it was huge. And you mm. you don't seem to have schools like that anymore, whether it's because they've had to sell off, you yeah. know, the, the assets and that. Uh, but it seemed massive to me. Um, and I can't actually remember my very first day, but I, I do remember sort of the sort of the constant, like, you know, where, where would the coach be? Because there were lots of these coaches and the sort mm. of frenetic sort of worry whether I was going to miss it, et cetera. Um, and in terms of the uniform, the uniform was interesting because there were um, three different uniforms. So there was a uniform for Key Stage 3, one for Key Stage 4, and then the sixth form, quite radically, I mean, there'd be a protest now, um, but the sixth form had to wear a uniform, but they uh, could actually vote for what that suits, that, that colour would be. Oh, um, okay. Yes. So um, I remember, I think we were the first ones to vote for a black and white uniform scheme. So you Sorry, just basically... you had all those choices of all the colours. Yeah, <laughs> you voted for black and white. Yeah. What so, year was um, this? I guess that was that was that, that was last. Oh gosh, that would have been um, eighty four. So nineteen eighty four when we'd finished what was O levels. Of course, then that's how old I am, Joe. Nineteen eighty four. Surely, surely red yeah. and black would have been more uh, more insult. <laughs> yeah, very possibly. good. I know. Um, I and actually, even though it doesn't sound red- radical, it actually was because it was the first time they'd ever had that. It was a big thing about it in terms of could we have something different and sort of voting for sort of rights, really having a bit of autonomy. But of course, mm. most six forms now just wear their own sort of clothes, don't they? Mm. Um, and then the, the lower in the um, sort of lower years, it was sort of actually strangely quite similar to our uniform where I teach in, in the Catholic school now. Um, it was sort of like a grey, a grey sort of jumper, a sort of dark blazer. Um, and then the tie, which was sort of, black with sort of yellow and blue stripes I think mm. um, I was trying to sort of go it might have even been sort of blue and red but it's sort of very schoolish tie and it had the big sort of logo um, linked in with St Thomas More which was sort of God's servant first which was their kind of lo- their logo mm. and then at the uniform at the upper um, for um, the fourth and fifth year as um, we called it then was brown chocolate brown <laughs> chocolate brown that's another color that doesn't get a lot of a look in these days no, it's very yeah, exactly. yeah it's considered very yeah. very gauche i think yeah um, so one of the things that i'm always intrigued by is that people talk about memory of of things like you say you know you might not remember your first day as such but you remember sort of first impressions and first sort of instances were there any weird things or things that struck you as weird um, I, I think that it, it didn't seem odd because it was just the routine, but I think comparing it to how schools are now, I suppose it's a bit strange, is that students just weren't allowed to remain in the building. Everywhere was out of bounds. Hmm. Um, so at break time and lunch time, um, you know, there were these huge vending machines and coffee machines that you could sort of in the foyer sort of area um and that but then you'd have to go outside um and even if it was like the the most hideous weather students would still be expected to go outside and there wasn't any sort of particularly sheltered area you just sort of got on with mm. it and we never sort of challenged it. I remember sort of maybe I was getting a little bit rebellious um by the sort of fourth year and I remember myself and my best friend Joanne sort of trying to take refuge somewhere and then the teacher saying outside and there was this great sort of phrase that still resonates with me now um uh, uh, sort of uh, stay on the left single file um so it was kind of 
a strict school, I suppose, from that point of view. But it wasn't the sort of zero tolerance sort of strict schools that we mm. we we have in in, in some schools today. Um, and there was also this bizarre one way system. Um, mm. So you know, I there was sort of and, and that always confused me because I was like, well, I'm going the wrong way, and I suppose it's just part of being a new year seven student, isn't it? And familiar familiarizing yourself with the building. Um, and I'm just, and, I'm just and thinking another... about how so, sorry to interrupt but just yeah. you are right about the idea of one-way systems and them being yeah. the minute that they get put in and I'm sure you've had this at your school yeah. due to COVID and other things like that we've suddenly been told oh you have to do it like this and so we've had a new building uh, which doesn't help either because suddenly it's like well we, we must do this one-way system and with, with the greatest of respect it, it doesn't work necessarily yeah. at pinch points but what's ended yes. up happening is that you mentioned the year sevens. <laughs> bless. Yeah. You know what year sevens are like, some of them. Bless. They, they, especially this current crop who've come through, they're so, so sheltered because they have been sheltered. They've been yes, sheltering from COVID. Been, they haven't been yeah. anywhere. They haven't done, yeah. you know, so they've come in, they're in the uniform. They've got the mask on. They've yeah. got, got mask on, woolly hat on, big bag. And one of them the other day, bless I, I just i just come out of my classroom i wasn't even paying attention to him he was going the wrong way down the corridor because he really needed the toilet and when he saw me Aww. you froze and i and i sort of just turned around and i was like and i thought oh i'm supposed to tell him to go the other way to walk all the way around the school so he can come to i'm really sorry can i just go to i was like just go it's fine just yeah you know and exactly. and it's really tough because you just think there might well have been some stuff. I can think of one or two who would have gone, no, one-way system. And you just think, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, let's just be nice. And I think one thing I remember as well is um, maybe it was sort of an early reflection on the curriculum, um, being a bit frustrated that certain things about the curriculum that I really didn't like that seemed gender-specific. So the girls mm. um, did food, well, it was called home economics. Yes. Um, so we must, I know it used to be domestic science, so we weren't that <laughs> old. It was food, uh, it was not, also it wasn't food technologies, it is now, or food and nutrition, um, but it was sort of home economics. So we girls did home economics and needlework. And I really despise needlework with a passion that mm. I can't even begin to encapsulate, uh, really, Joe. Um, and I remember um, sort of thinking, I'm actually just dying a death inside in these lessons. It didn't inspire me. But the things that the boys were doing did. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it would have been good at, at metalwork and woodwork, but I used to think, oh, why, why can't the girls do that? And the same with some of the um, curriculum lessons in PE. Mm. Um you know, I, I wanted to do some of the sort of faster, less rigid sort of control ball games, like, you know, and and have a go at things like basketball in particular and um, rugby, which, of course, you know, happens now. Mm. Um, so, you know, they, they were a few things, I suppose, maybe I felt were unusual, uh, but were more perhaps about frustration. You know? Well, and, and it says a lot about how things are now that, we yes. we we look at it now slightly aghast and say that shouldn't really be the way that things go and and it, and it is it is funny how i suppose normally when i have guests who are talking about school for them it's a real time capsule as in the whole educational experience is based around that whereas i guess for educators we go sometimes people tell me stories and I go oh yeah of course well back then it was like this now we don't do that and they go really that's not a thing yes, anymore, exactly. you know, and, and it is, I know. unless they have kids of their own sometimes, and even when they do have kids of their own, they don't always necessarily know because they're not, no. you know, they, they might, they might they not. Got the point at, they haven't yeah. got that, that sort of 
the, the pasta built a full on. They also had, which, um, you know, I, I don't know if schools had this today. I've never heard of it, but there was a sort of school hymn um, and it was called For All Their Saints. That was the sort mm. of, so um, I'm not going to try and sing it because I just can't. <laughs> um, um, but um, that was the sort, and, and there was something pretty special about that. And um, it felt like we had masses every day. We, we can't possibly have had masses every day. Masses um, of masses. Yeah, yeah. The the um, And it felt like it was the whole school but it can't have been um because it was sort of really would have been year seven eight and nine in the sixth form and and whatever it was about the hall there was a sort of balcony area where the sixth form sat and it was the whole it felt like the whole school together and there was something wonderfully cohesive and quite special about those experiences that and I don't remember whether we sat on chairs or whether we were sort of cross-legged on the floor, it didn't feel like there were chairs there. Mm. But um, I remember those those events really warmly. I mean, I was a, a you know a practicing Catholic, and and coming to a Catholic school, it was something that felt familiar and resonated with me as part of you know my culture, my values, and I those occasions felt really special. But I thought, yeah, there there was a, a school um, hymn that we always sang as well for all their saints. So I don't mm. know if it's still the same now. Um, it'd be quite nice to think it was, but yeah, so I don't know if they're particularly sort of unusual um, things, but they're the ones that kind of stick in my mind. It's always funny when we talk about the singing and assembly, because it's actually something that is not as widespread as you might think. Certainly, I went to a, a regular sort of comprehensive school, not, certainly no, certainly non-denomination of any kind, you know, but we would still sing hymns. Nowadays, I sort of think, well, that wouldn't that wouldn't really happen in quite the same way because because well because people would be more culturally sensitive. Um, although to be honest, where I went to school was probably one of the whitest areas in all of Hampshire. You know, you'd only have to go twenty minutes down the road either side for it to be actually a bit more diverse and more representative. Yeah. A bunch of people all singing in unison is actually yes. quite interesting and unusual for it to work. You know, people aren't necessarily singing in harmony, but for, there's always someone at the back who's pretending to sing or someone who's singing very loudly out of key. But it doesn't really yeah. matter because it's assembly, no. which is part and of And at least fun. there wasn't that sort of reservation around singing that mm. sometimes we have with young people. And, you know, to, one thing that, you know, is always done so well in primary schools, isn't it? And and we want to be able to kind of continue that into key stage three. And it, and it's, it can be challenging at times. But I, I remember this as something where everybody would be singing. I mean, there was probably... Mm exceptions to it like you said but mm. whatever it was I remember thinking you know that is something that was sort of really special and that's what we talk about when we talk about the values and culture of a school and the different things that they do that bring people together it must have been a huge hall though because mm. when I think about where I teach at the moment our main hall will fit the whole year group a year group in but not the whole school but it no wouldn't way. wouldn't have year seven eight and nine and the six four yeah. in there you know so wow we must have been cross-legged and squished kind of literally on top of each other, I think. I don't so, think it would work with yeah. COVID restrictions, would it? That's <laughs> no, for sure. it certainly wouldn't. I no. know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about subjects. I think it generally, not always, I think it's generally true, isn't it, that we sort of enjoy the subjects um, that we feel successful with yeah. and it sort of goes hand in hand, but not always the case. Like I had a bit of a loathing for chemistry, but I was quite good at chemistry. But I mean, for me, really, I was interested First and foremost, English um, mm. was my prime and sort of love, really. And there were 
further subjects, if I just sort of list the ones that I remember as being kind of at the heart of, of what I enjoyed most, it would have been English, drama, uh, the humanities, so geography, history, RE, and then sort of maybe a little bit randomly, really liked human biology. So these were days where biology was taught separately to human biology. So I don't actually, maybe I've blanked this from my memory, but I don't remember physics at all, probably because if, I, if, if there were any lessons about it, there would have been a bit of a blur. I remember um, some key stage three science lessons and this particularly quirky character, Mr. Bentham, who was our science teacher, who used to sort of throw me up in the air, um, demonstrating the sort of the movement of atoms um, and feeling quite terrified, thinking, what on earth is he doing? You know, um, I was kind of a bit of a skinny, scrawny sort of child and 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 and, and really being quite terrified. And I thought you can't sort of even imagine that happening today. No. So whether Mr. Bentham is solely responsible for putting me off um, science, I don't know. But I remember early on knowing that I wanted to continue to do English A-level and couldn't wait to sort of ditch the other subjects Mm. that I really didn't enjoy. And um, in particular, as well as sort of chemistry, um, they were sort of related to technology around like needlework. um, And we we had must have had some kind of carousel because I don't remember it being constantly part of the curriculum, but uh, what was called technical drawing. Um, oh yeah. Oh, and it was obviously the discipline of it, and the fact that I wasn't very good at it, sort of put me off. And I had this vivid memory of, you know, we all do, don't we, of an experience of a teacher saying something that was very negative, um, and he actually tore up the sheet in front of me, telling me, you know, well, just expressed um, his um, clear criticism about how appalling the work wow. was. Um, so, you know, that sort of um, stuck with my in my mind. And then the other thing that is, it goes back to sort of primary school, really, about just how terrible I was, particularly at rounders. And I think it kind of marred my enjoyment <laughs> of PE. Um, so it was particularly around ball games, like sort of bat and ball games, really, with hockey and um, rounders. I was just absolutely completely unskilled and I'm in awe of the PE teachers today and the fantastic work they do in terms of coaching and I really wished one of them mm-hmm. had taught me and um, because I had a particular way of surviving grounders my only way of not getting out would be to run to first base before the ball the ball had been bowled um, so that was my only strategy to survive because I thought I knew I was going to miss it. The backstop was going to catch it, throw it to first base. So that was my st- strategy. So trying to be proactive, but it was a sad thing to behold. It really like the was. idea of you say, look, we all know I'm going to get out here. I might, as well, yeah. I might as well get this out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Although, um, strangely, and I sort of have taken this up in latter years, I was pretty good at the cross country, um, okay. which obviously everybody hated. And, I, and I, I, it's interesting, isn't it, that had somebody just sort of nurtured a little bit of that, it mm. would have built my confidence with it. And as it happens, even going into my adulthood, I labelled myself as somebody that was not sporty mm. and would not be able to do running um, because I'd been so sort of awful at it at school. And they also did that thing where they picked teams and I was mm. always the last one to be picked. And it's, you know, I mean, 
you just think how how could those things be allowed to sort of happen to to sort of quash you know young people's self-esteem um so much but to, to sort of bring it slightly more to the present day because I because I can do this given given your job as and, and your role within a school do you think that it is as simple as these days to use that term that young women are given far more encouragement early on and there's less of that sort of macho bullshit around how PE and sport is taught is, is that is it is it as simple as that or do you think that there's more I think it's more I think um it's you know and it, and I think um around some of the the challenges that we face it's from early on having just excellent role models with mm-hmm. both staff and older students demonstrating to younger students giving them the same opportunities so having that first of all planned into the curriculum so they can have the same experiences I think having um, opportunities something we're doing um, in our school opportunities for student leadership in PE as well um, so that they can coach and support other students seeing that modelled in the lessons as well as just something that's led by the staff I, I just think, I mean, for me, one of the things that you might have seen in my bio in Twitter, and it's a phrase that students know, I'll say all the time with some of the young girls, is women are strong. You know, to be able to see that that is something that um, is 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 acceptable and that we can be resilient um, and we can express our views openly and we can decide to be whoever we want. Having a voice and enabling that I think is important for all young people for 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 boys for girls as well um but you know culturally where girls aren't necessarily perhaps given that same opportunity traditionally then it becomes more important that we endorse that as well yeah because it's actually something that I I've always found I don't want to say frustrating because it doesn't affect me directly but I do always think it, it is very evident in some of my friends. I mean, my 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 wife is someone who was never encouraged when it came yeah. to sport. Yeah. Um, things like dance, of course, you know, yeah. very, very into that. And 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 music, very into that, you know, and but certainly, you know, I think about how just and and it this sounds like I'm being being mean about sort of my fellow, my fellow chaps, but sometimes it just feels like in most traditional structures men go well boys we're going to go and play a game of cricket or a game of football and the girls you you can do something else you can yes. you, you know yeah. maybe in some more progressive older places you can maybe yeah. play some hockey it's not quite yeah. you know and it does yeah. it does make me sort of go i think we've moved to that point now where most schools in in the in the uk at least have yeah both options it just gen, gen, gender is irrelevant absolutely it doesn't mm. exist and thank god for that yeah. and i think you know and i i I still remember my experiences vividly around PE um, and I, I look at, at the, the, the opportunities that exist for, for girls today. And I think it is just wonderful, really, mm. that they have the range of, of, of um, sort of sports and activities and not just as part of the curriculum, but as part of the enrichment that we can offer in schools. Mm. And, uh, and interestingly, the um, the sort of enrichment that I remember, I, don't, I mean, we didn't have these labels you know, the enrichment and the different clubs that were offer, on offer, I was really impressed thinking back and I thought, oh, well, I did this. And then there were these different sort of, you know, opportunities to get involved. And I think from that point of view, I I, I think the school, I don't know whether it was normal at the time, but I think it, it certainly, it was ahead of its time, I think, in, in some of the things that they did. 
but going back to the the subjects, I think the um, I'd like to. I mean, I I love to think that somehow um, he would be able to hear this, but um, the 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 English teachers that taught me were just extraordinary. And they engendered in me a real passion for the, for the subject that has gone into my career. And there was a, a, a teacher called Mr. Malloy in um, Key Stage 3. He was such an eccentric. He would literally sort of bowl himself into the classroom. And, we all are, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. And um, he, he sort of nicknamed William Shakespeare Rattle Javelin with his little pun. Um, um, but the... The sort of my favourite teacher, I remember, uh, English teacher was Mr. Gorman. Um, and he was sort of a real sort of quiet gentleman and basically sort of created such a passion for poetry and drama. And I enjoyed his lessons so much. And he um, encouraged all of us to have this sort of creative writing journal. Um, and I remember sort of kind of looking up at the, he said, whatever opportunity you've got, you, you sort of, you know, write it down. And we're looking up at the clouds and writing this sort of poem. And, and, and you know, for, for me, I just could not have, have, have had a better teacher that inspired um, a love of a subject that went with me into my career. Do we know what Mr. Gorman's doing with himself now, besides enjoying retirement, I'm sure? No, I know. I'd, I'd love to know that. Um, but he, were, I think his name was John Gorman, um, such a humble uh, man. Mm. He taught sixth form as, uh, as well. I, he didn't te- teach me um, into my sort of O-level and um, A-level. I had different teachers for that, a sort of a fabulous Irish teacher called um, Justin uh, O'Doherty, Mr. O'Doherty. So no, he, he was he was fabulous. The amount of hours he must have spent marking my books. I'd write these really long sort of stories that must have been apps. I remember sort of looking back, I'd kept one such drivel really because they'd be going on for page and it's like this constant dialogue. And then at the end, he'd write this sort of lovely comment. You've, Teresa, you've obviously put a great deal of effort into this and they'd be there. However, you know, um, so I can only, Mr. Gorman, if you happen to be listening to this, only uh, sort of apologize and thank you for your patience in reading my sort of, uh, uh, short stories that weren't so short. <laughs> Again, to, to bring things sort of round to the present day a little bit, do you think that a Mr. Gorman is as likely to happen today in the modern classroom? And I'm more thinking curriculum. I'm not necessarily well, curriculum and workload. I don't want to turn this into too much of a uh, of a moan about paper two for language AQA, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Like that that element of you know, I, I'd love nothing more than to have free reign over what I teach, and I just have yeah. none, really. Um, yeah. Some, no, that's not true. I, I can, I can bring in the unseen poetry that I'd like, and certainly I can, occasionally with creative writing, I can do a bit here and there. But for the for the most part, it it, it is a bit um, of a of a drought, I think, for for inspiration, or it can be in the wrong hands. Yes, I, I think that with all of the changes that we've had to specifications and changes mm. around curriculum, it's easy to to feel that we're really restricted by it. But but I disagree. I, I think that the the curriculum is an opportunity, as, as we've sort of done in, in latter years in, in all of our schools, 
in sort of really reviewing what it is we want students to learn, what what it is that they will have achieved by the end of that year, I would say that the experience that they're getting in schools now is probably better than when I was at school in terms of um, key stage three. As long as we don't treat key stage three as just a sort of watered down key stage four and just a way of preparing them uh, for GCSE, um, then I think we can all be Mr Gormans. I think it's important to to not kill uh, the love of our subject uh, by taking, you know, squeezing all the life out of it and stripping everything down to language and structure devices mm-hmm. instead of actually a real love of reading, a real sort of trying to inspire young people um, to write because everybody's got that sort of writer inside us. Everybody's got something interesting to say. And also to have texts on the curriculum that we know students in our particular schools will really engage with. Yeah, so so. I, I think, um, whilst I remember fondly the teachers I had um, at St Thomas More, on the whole, uh, in terms of despite there's always going to be sub- subjects you don't like, all my memories are really positive about my school days. Mm. But I also do remember, remember this is pre-national curriculum, I do remember um, teachers sitting at the desk and marking their books while we were expected to copy off the board and you know, just sit there sort of in silence and not learn very much. I remember a particular lesson where I just added the word banana randomly and as many times as I could into the sentence, copying out the textbook, thinking, well, what, what is it that I'm learning from this? Um, so, and we, and, and we don't, we don't do that for, for young people now. They've got so much more in terms of that knowledge rich curriculum, that well sequenced learning that kind of builds towards, you know, the opportunity to be successful, but still at the same time be engaged and, and enjoy their lessons. I, I agree totally with Key Stage 3. The bit that we've struggled with the most, I say we, I think a lot of teachers have struggled with the most, is that we want to do all of those things and we definitely don't want to water down Key Stage 4. Ultimately, though, we're going to get held accountable for results in the future. And that is the bit that I think is so impossible to marry. Unless I think you are prepared to accept that, you know, the skills that you're teaching don't have to be wrapped up in some sort of pixel or AO, you know, yes. bow. Yes, exactly. And yeah, I, th- I do. Maybe it's just me. Maybe this is a very unpopular opinion, but it's just mine. I, I, I believe that when when people are frightened, they go with the safest option rather than the one that might actually be the most engaging and inspiring and and i've worked in schools where that's been the case i'm, I'm lucky that right now it's not the case I, I feel like we we get a lot of things right uh, i still think there's some other things we could do but but we try them and it is that thing of you say it's pre-national curriculum you're right it meant some people could just yeah. take the piss and do what they wanted but it was also pre-league tables i i assume yes, yes, so yeah. there is also that every school is competing with every other yes, school and I've, yes. I've just always wondered at like if you were to f- some people are very in favour of the idea of making league tables less about pure top line results and very much making, you know, you're never going to go away, make them about student satisfaction more than anything else. That's what they do for universities. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want a student satisfaction survey for, for <laughs> no, true, what they might say about me. If everyone's nicknamed. doing it, then, oh, no. uh, you know, I, maybe. So, um, I, have a, I had a nickname that a student gave me over a decade ago. A young man called Drew called me the Ashenator. Um, so I think generally 
students are a little bit kind of fearful and anxious thinking oh my gosh I've got Mrs Ash at the sort of start of key stage four but generally I would say that by the end of year 11 students you know they know me really well and they were like oh I was really scared of you at the start of year 10 now you're my favorite teacher um but I still don't think I'd want to put my hands into a kind of a, a student survey of satisfaction um True. you know I'm not sure not sure if they'd be sort of mature enough for that but yeah I think um the, the, it's difficult isn't it I mm. think that of course we have to have accountability measures because you know one of the things that we we want students to do is leave and to have had that um the op- the best opportunities of academic excellence but school life's so much more than that isn't it, it really um is. and yeah. and you know and I'll say this to students when you know we're, we're talking about pastoral matters or what, whatever it is, is that really it is about the whole person and, you know, the, the 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 values that we model to them and what we want we want them to be successful when they leave and 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 perhaps part of it is 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 moving from that focus of not just attainment. Some some colleagues can still be focused on oh you know how many how many grade nines are you going to get. It's not about that. It's a, it's it's about progress eight as a measure. And I find personally, the students that I find most rewarding to teach are those students with low prior attainment, uh, middle prior attainment. Um, a student I taught several years ago had had got a grade four, um, and it was two marks off a grade five in his English literature. This young man couldn't speak English when he came to year mm-hmm. seven, um, and and it's focusing on that. And I think rather than sort of be so yes of course it's going to be have your exam technique focus in in year 11 by all means but prior to that if you've killed the love of your subject off with constantly sort of kind of you know focusing on the exam and the assessment objectives Mm. um then you know that you will have lost them you know students have had so much um to deal with over the last two years what we want to do is engage them. We want to create an interest. And sometimes, like we say to students, say a lot, as English teachers will say, say a lot about a little, focusing mm. in on that quote and developing it. And the same is true of how we teach as well. Maybe not over planning and bombarding them, keeping it, stripping it down, keeping it simple and sharing that favourite poem, even if it isn't mm. on you know, the curriculum. And like there's a, we, we teach um, Pearson, there was a, a particular poem that was on, I think, the AQA uh, cluster called "Walking Away" um, by C. Lewis. Yes, and it was a, a Lewis, poem um, that, yeah. Is it that in the, the that's in the love and relationships cluster, isn't I, it? I yeah. think so. We, we we don't teach AQA, but um, oh, of course, sorry, it was a, it was it, it was a, a poem that a colleague had shared when mm. my youngest had gone off to university, and and sort of the empty nest syndrome kicked mm. in with a vengeance, um, and it was beautiful, and and. I share this with my students as a poem, even though it's not on, you know, the the kind of the, the set poem list to share with them something about yourself and, and life and its meaning and its purpose and, and, and those things that kind of stir the soul. Mm. Um, and uh, when I talk, when it, like you look at something like unseen poetry that you might think, oh, it could be quite a dry subject. I sort of try and say to them it's exciting you don't mm. know what you're going to get and like like today we're going to look at this poem and sort of and just modeling that enthusiasm so yes I mm. I think that there are many opportunities for that and I think there are you know maybe I'm biased because it's my subject with English but I think you you know it's a particular crime isn't it not to be like that as an English teacher I've met swathes of 
people, unfortunately, in my professional career who have absolutely no passion for the subject that I could see. A lot of them were my heads of department. This is in previous schools. um, And they had absolutely no interest in it in that regard. Or if they did, they kept it very well hidden. It was always about the top line. It was always about results. Um, And if it wasn't about results, it was about some other BS that we've been asked to do by the management at the time that was linked to Ofsted. And and, uh, maybe this is the thing. You spend so long on the shop floor just doing it day in, day out, like you say, at the coal face or at the short face. You start to go... it's very hard and I think you know um, middle management in particular so so those colleagues that work as head of department they are in a a really particularly challenging um, position and and you you said earlier to me about it's not a particular sort of role that you thought about and and I share that as well Joe because I never wanted to be a, a head of department lead practitioner was the role that really sort of you know I I I sort of sought for as, as my dream job really uh, because it allowed me to still do what I love and even now in my role in senior leadership the best thing about my day is when I'm in the classroom and I think when you can be overwhelmed with all of the challenges that a middle leader faces with sometimes very little freeze as well mm. to be able to manage that um, it's no wonder that you can maybe feel a little bit jaded but I think What's important alongside the curriculum work that's happened, the fantastic curriculum work that schools have have implemented, is to make sure it's supported by excellent subject knowledge development, because having that time to be able to really, you know, uh, explore and develop your knowledge and understanding to be able to share that again in turn with with students is important to rekindle perhaps that um, Mm. love of your subject. And absolutely, I, I feel that one of the reasons why people keep coming back to something is because they really love it and certainly for me I had to change schools a couple of times once or twice because logistically we were moving um but a couple of times as well because I thought I it's either the job or me or the school I can't tell which one uh and I kept going well it might not be me because I know that I enjoy this I know that I really get fire in my in my in my belly about this but I can't I can't seem to do that here or just doing that here isn't working. And ugh. yeah. And then I think I've sort of found a bit of a Goldilocks school where it's just right, yeah, you know, and I, perfect. and I have, I have that, I have that sort of opportunity to do those things, yeah. but it doesn't, but it doesn't mean, and this is the same for any subject I think that you teach at, at this level, you know, people, people love the subjects and they want to do the very best to impart that love of that subject. And you're always going to get people that just go, this isn't for me. And actually, it's yes. funny. We talk about the gender thing about sports. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really, one of the things that I've always tried to do, and, and I, don't, I don't like to use that phrase male role model because I, I, it makes me gag, but I do like to be a man that reads books. And also I play a lot of sport and I'm very interested in my rugby. And, you know, and I try to say, listen, you don't have to just be one thing. Absolutely. You don't, 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 be, don't be a stereotype you know yes, be be, yeah. be be who you want to be if you're somebody that yes. reads books or paints or dances yes. but you also like to go and throw a ball around or kick a ball around that's absolutely that's fine. fine you yeah, can do all of those things and, and and it is tricky sometimes because if you're like neither fish nor fowl and mm-hmm. and even in even in schools that I've worked in even even among staff there are cliques that develop of oh well, you're not one of these guys you're not one of those guys you're not one of these girls how do yeah. you work it it's, it's hard I think but yeah all the more reason to show secondary school students diversity of any kind 
Absolutely. As diverse as a white male who's married, lives in the home counties can be. <laughs> but no, it's important, isn't it? And But, you know, the sort of, you know, whether it is a disaffected year eight boy who doesn't like reading but loves sport and you you maybe might be in your tutor group and you can have that conversation with him and you you know he knows you're sporting and he sees you reading and you're sharing with it so important I mean like, like with lots of schools we have a sort of a, a drop everything and read scheme and we we have that for sort of two 25 minute sessions a week and that the teachers are sort of modeling that reading and reading the books alongside the students um so it becomes culturally you know something that is part of the the mm. routines and um i remember the uh, going back to um St. thomas more i remember the the library it must have been a, a, a space i enjoyed spending time with because i mm. can see it vividly in my mind now i have such strong visual memories of everything to do with the school um and i also remember that just around the corner of where i lived in warsaw there was a sixth form college they had a library there that anybody could use so I used to go around there and it was a quiet place to be as well because um, sort of home life meant that it was quite busy and there wasn't anywhere quiet to be able mm. to work. And the, and I used to think, and, and I remember that particularly um, during my O-levels and A-levels and getting all these books out on the, on the subject and thinking, I've got all these books that can help me with this essay. How fantastic was this? And this was obviously days computers existed because I remember my best friend did computer studies hmm. for her O-level and there was these, these huge computers with the black screen and the green sort of writing on um, but obviously computers out, you know they didn't exist in people's homes or hmm. anything like that um, so this library was a pretty special place really for me. It's funny how that library okay. feeling I, I get it every time so we do library lessons once a week with yeah. with our key three classes and I go into our school library as a, as a teacher the kids sit down and start reading and I just obviously sadly a lot of the time I have other things that I have to do they're reading but there are times when I go I really need to mark these essays and I'm going to use some of this time to do it because it's quiet and I can but the, yeah. when I don't have stuff to do or when I've decided I'm going to push that and do it later I love nothing more than just going around going right where's the where's the poetry section right I'm gonna gonna, yeah. gonna get I'm gonna get a slim volume that I haven't read before I'm just gonna sit and read and yeah. there have been times when I've sat there we don't have any bells in our school so I've been sat there and one of the kids gone Sarah I think we're I think we're done here I was like Oh, God, oh, quick, pack up, go. <laughs> but do you know how important that is, though, that modelling of reading, and for you to be sat there reading with them and for them to see that and how inspiring that is, you know. And I, I just think that that is so important in terms of setting those early seeds of like, oh, this is, you know, this is something that is a great place to be and somewhere where they is part of the sort of expectation mm. and ethos around developing literacy in the school it can backfire though as i discovered once when i <laughs> I, I sat down and um i didn't I, I, I just thought oh um i'll pick up i'm doing a bit of non-fiction stuff I'll, I'll i'll pick up some bill bryson i'll just read a couple of chapters. if there's anything that i really like and i think oh that's a good language technique i'll just i'll just magpie that and i'll photocopy it the problem is i was reading the section in um when he i don't know if you've read any of his travel writing but uh, there's there's down under when he goes to australia and there's a particularly hilarious bit where he's being chased through this park in the middle of sydney by a couple of dogs which he can't see but they're sort of in they're, they're, they're sort of converging on him and it's just sort of the, and of course it's bill bright very very funny 
and I'm sat there just snorting to myself. The library's <laughs> deathly silent, and I'm chuckling away behind this book. And I look up, and I've got this bunch of sevens looking at me like I'm completely insane. This guy. Oh, but I think that's that's brilliant. They, they, you know, we were reading, as I said earlier, Refugee Boy, and there's a, I won't sort of um, repeat. I mean, it, it is funny. Um, that. that but, and then the students are laughing, but wondering, you know, it's like when there's the odd swear word that mm. is said and thinking, oh, you know, how's Mrs. Ash going to kind of react to that? Um, but say, well, actually, you know, the whole purpose of a text is to to engage the reader and, mm. and for you to have a response. So for them to see that that's what you're meant to do and that it can be not just, you know, something that is educational, but actually entertaining mm. as well. Um, and I think, you know, the, I know from listening to one of your other pods that you obviously are a, a, a Philip Larkin um, um, fan. and um, not, not the most um, entertaining vaudeville of the poets. No, but, no, yeah. no, exactly. But um, and actually, I remember um, uh, whole university, one of the um, mm. universities I had an offer from and he was the librarian mm, then at the time. But, you know, I there are certain like... Um, Mr. O'Doherty had created a particular um, interest for me in Thomas Hardy. Mm. Um, again, somebody that isn't, you're not going to be kind of rolling round in stitches uh, reading to, but there was a poem, The Voice, um, written about his dead wife. And, and you can still remember, I can still remember lines from it. Mm. Um, I can remember lines from the the plays, um, Shakespeare plays, Othello and Lear that we did. Mm. And, you know, and sometimes I start sort of, you know, kind of coming out with. Uh, the, it hurts the, my the... heart that 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 we don't get to do a fellow at A level yeah. for for, yeah, for OCR. It makes me yeah. makes me really sad. I mean, we do Hamlet, which is very good, but it's not Othello, no, and it it's certainly not Lear. <laughs> So oh, no, no exactly. I, yeah, I, I, I find myself sometimes getting really upset by that. Oh, and the fact that I can't teach Larkin when I when I was taught Larkin at A level, that was a different yeah. different era. It, it was um, I don't even know what exam board my my, my sixth form did, but no, it, it yeah, you are right. And and actually, I think this this sort of leads into that discussion of school being not just like you say a place to get your grades and a place as a stepping stone to move on it it is such a formative experience and a lot of that comes down to the fact that you are steeped in people doing things and modeling behavior and you know we are in loco parentis for eight hours a day where we are modeling the behavior of adults sometimes poorly (laughs) sometimes hopefully quite well we don't know but you know for, for kids who don't have anything like that at home uh, and I remember actually having a student in my in my first my in my APT year and and very very vulnerable young man, you know, didn't have a, a a father figure around, and he really did latch on to me. And I felt, you know, I was only about twenty five at the time. I was quite young. Uh, yeah, and and it was it was I felt because I I left in my NQT I I did my NQT year and I left because it was I hated it so much. It was such a, such a horrible school, bullying head teacher, all sorts of stuff, you know. Um, set me back probably set me back a good three years in my actual confidence in myself but anyway this lad was absolutely he was lovely he was such a such a nice young man he really tried he came along to my ukulele club um which i'd set up you know and he was really keen and i remember having to tell him that i was going and i just i felt i felt felt like uh i felt like george in uh 
of my yeah. cement. I felt so awful. It's like, yeah. geez, you know. But what you have to remember is is um, the impact that you had on him while you were there. Um, and, you know, you will be somebody that when he perhaps is doing his pod in, in years to come, we'll be talking about you and, you know, and, and, and who knows that without that, it might have only been for a short period of time, but you know, what, what would have happened instead? Um, and it's the little things, isn't it? Like, I mm. mean, now having got into sport a little bit sort of over the last six years, um, I'm a great believer in that sort of the British Olympic um cycle team of incremental gains mm. and i think that's true of life as well is the you know the little things that we can do that will make a difference collectively to build towards success um and then when i think about some of those experiences that i had um at st thomas more um growing up i you know i'm so grateful um mm. The, the head teacher, I think he, he became almost a bit like the Wizard of Oz. I don't think, I, I can't hmm. remember ever seeing him really. He was behind a curtain name, the whole time. Yeah. He uh, sort of, I think he was called W.P. Hartley. I think it was William Hartley. Um, but there were two deputy heads, one of the lower school called um, Mr. Humphreys. Mr. Humphreys was this really strict Welsh um, sort of P teacher. Um, and I couldn't understand why he talked. Uh, sort of sh- shouted all the boys with their surname, you boy, you, you Giles, and that would be their sort of surname, but he called the girls by the first name. And I, even then I was thinking, you know, that's a bit sexist actually. I sort of felt a bit sorry for the boys, but he was a really strict teacher. And I thank him for establishing good discipline in the school. Um, even though he sort of terrified everybody. Uh, and uh, there was a, an even stricter deputy at the other school called Mr. Nichols. And strangely, he was married to a Mrs. Nichols, who was a loveliest RE teacher. And she taught me um, and inspired me um, to take RE at um, A-level. And I had some fabulous, I've really enjoyed RE um, and the great debates we had around these big philosophical topics and ethical issues around things like euthanasia, abortion, um, capital punishment. And she, for me, engendered in, in, in me a real sort of passion for debating. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I, even though um, I, um, you know, lacked a lot of confidence in certain things, um, I, I must have had a lot to say on things as well. And um, I became part of the, uh, the school debating team. Oh, wow. Um, took part in um, competitions and they were sort of group debating and single sort of debating. Um, so that that's one sort of enrichment. I was about to um, say that what, my my next question you've obviously seen oh, um, was all about was all about extracurricular. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I should have, I should have known that the um, the deputy head teacher <laughs> would have would have seamlessly transitioned. I'm very sorry for breaking up your flow. Oh, um, no, so in terms of in terms of a debate team, though, I can imagine that would have been quite an intense thing. Like, it's hard to fall into debating. You've normally got to be quite ready to to go toe to toe with somebody else did what, yeah. what what was your introduction to that did someone invite you along did you did you the, just the, turn up yes and um, yes he did um and he he sort of organized i can't remember his surname now but he um he was a, a lovely um teacher who was sort of oversaw the debating and he was quite sort of uh had a really sort of mild nature and really uh a, a sort of um a teacher that you know, it was quite popular um, with the, the students and uh, gave up his time freely. And I, I think that's something that I just sort of was in awe of, really, because some of it would have been late into the evenings if we were sort of 
driving off to different schools mm. um, and always really positive as well. Like even when he was giving you feedback about to improve, he'd always sort of focus on the things that you'd done well. And if you'd stumbled on a phrase or not quite, quite he said, oh, no, I think you did. I remember being really critical going, oh, I got, you know, I got that wrong. And he said, no, no, I think, I think you, you did that really well. I even remember the words he used. He said to me, because you corrected yourself by, by saying, or rather, and I thought, and so lifted me mm. up, you know. So, um, and I think, again, it wasn't just the debating. It was the what I was debating. I, mm. I was a, a, a particular um, sort of strong exponent for pro-life. And a, a abortion was a, a subject that sort of captured my passion. Um, so that was often one of the things of what I was talking about. Um and um, so that that was an arrow interested me. And then they had and I so there must have been a really um, creative school and one that had, had nurtured the, the arts as well, which was wonderful because I don't know if they still do it now, but they had this um, festival called the Mad Festival. Okay. And it's and it stood for music, art and drama. Ah. Um, so they, um, I think they would have probably collapsed the timetable, um, and then the, the school would be involved in these different uh, competitions to do with one of the things that I remember doing each year, um, was this poetry recital. And it was, um, a, a poem that you'd have to learn off by heart beforehand. So you'd obviously have to do some preparation and this one poem stopping, uh, by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Mm. Um, so I'd learned it off by heart. And I remember the all the sort of um, students that I was sort of competing with, and I can see myself now stood waiting. And I was up first. Um, and I you walked up and got onto the stage and recited it and remembered it all. And then when I came down, I thought, oh, I can't believe it. I forgot to say the title. You'd, you'd say stopping by um uh, stopping whatever I was, um like the, the official title of uh, stopping by woods on a, a snowy evening by robert frost mm. and i thought that's it now I've, I've lost you know but i actually won and i remember being really shocked i wonder I if like, by going straight into the first line yeah. you 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 made the judges think blimey we've got a pro on our hands here <laughs> Possible. As opposed to yeah, a deliberate like um, well, choice to not not use the, the title. In a way, though, I think that's what's the power of words being read aloud. It's one of the things that I've always thought really, really you you cannot you cannot quantify it. You can't measure it on a graph. You can't look at it under a microscope. But it's undeniably there, and it's something that I feel is very, very. It can get neglected by the curriculum because there is no exam for it we have a speaking and listening thing but it's not quite the same but yeah the ability to be able to do that and also memorizing poetry reciting poetry very hard actually way harder than than you might think and and yeah. i think about all of the poems i teach and the ones that i can definitely recite even then when i'm under pressure i i start to go ah is it that exact word at that yeah. point or have yeah. I, have i have i got that right so no that's a very it's very impressive. And again, you think about the confidence that 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 sort of growing confidence mm. that that would give somebody at school to know that they have a voice and they have a right to be heard and that they can do that as best as anyone else. Because it's one of my bugbears with the how, how best to describe it. When I worked in the private sector and I did for two years, 
don't judge me. I, I, I did it. I did it because at the time it was that I was going to quit education altogether. And I thought I'm going to try this and see what it's like. And it wasn't my scene, to be honest, but they put such an emphasis on those kind of things, that level of enrichment. And it made me really annoyed because, well, it made me annoyed on two counts. One, because you had some, yeah, some genuinely talented kids who were really up for it and really lovely. And, you know, I'm not annoyed at that. It was great. It was really great. But I was annoyed, one, that they'd been given such a platform, such an opportunity based on entirely based on money changing hands. Um, but secondly, the amount of kids that didn't appreciate it at all, didn't give a shit because the kids and that's fine. I'm not again, I'm not annoyed at them, but it was like there's all these yeah, things, all this enrichment being put in, all this money. Yeah. And they can't be asked. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not take, you're not, not, I suppose it's a failure to appreciate, isn't it? Mm. When you, you know, if you, and it, and it's not particularly any reflection on those students, but no. with other students in other schools that aren't given that sort of opportunity. So that I, I, and the other things, because I was trying to think, what, what else did I do? So I, I played the recorder um, and not very well, but, um, and couldn't read music. And so I was the kid that needed the letters being put on the, the notes. I'm still fascinated by people who can just read music, but loved playing the recorder. Um, so I did that for, for a while. Um, the, I remember this, that going back to that music art and drama festival, there wasn't just sort of reading the poetry that you, you, you'd you have a choral speaking where you do different poems together. Mm. Um, so there'd obviously, you know, have to be some sort of preparation for that. They, um, there was um, regular sort of um, um, performances um, each year and you'd have to audition for it. So I remember auditioning one year for um, Snow White and the, the Seven Dwarfs um, and, you know, so the, the, and then some of the different trips and things that were on. And um, we, we had a, um, a sort of a Catholic retreat, um, a sort of residential center called Solly house. And again, I don't even know if that's um, still open. Um, and we went, and I remember this fantastic break um, and it really like, we really got to know each other sort of, um properly in a way that you don't when you're just at school mm. and we know the importance of these experiences and and such fond memories with that and then um geography which i said earlier i love the humanities and went uh, on a trip a week trip to the yorkshire dales mm. um with another fantastic teacher called um, mr cocken and talks all about the wonders of stalagmites and stalactites and u-shaped valleys and v-shaped valleys and just absolutely in awe of the you know the, the sort of the physical geography and all this knowledge I was just soaking up from from his passion for that subject he was another strict um teacher but one that you know again I really loved and sort of picked up from him a real it, it, I, I was able to do geography and history there were two options that I mm. I taught I, I picked as, as part of my O levels and I thought it was just wonderful like he was a fantastic teacher and I'd, I'd have this really weird memory as well of um it be and I can see myself in the classroom now um over in the other side across the bridge in the, the sort of my fourth year as it was called then and looking down um, thinking, I saw these students just raking the soil. A group of small group of students just raking the soil. That was their geography lesson, and yeah. I thought, why? I felt like, why? What are they doing? 
you know, what what is it that they're learning from that and feeling sort of sorry for them, thinking, why don't they get the same chance that we were in sort of top set? It was a sort of streamed kind of system going back to key stage three. I was in G class. I don't know where they got the, the letters from. It was the letter, the surname of the tutor, who knows? Um, and I was in G all the way sort of through. And I used to think, oh, they looked really bored and sort of, you know, just had this sort of sense that they were missing out mm. and wanted them to so that it was obviously a, like we talked about now and what we offer and that same kind of you know opportunities for all that we mm. have in our curriculum and I think it's despite all of the challenges that we face as teachers it's really important to reflect on just the, the successes that we have today compared to those times I mean I I was blessed I I was in that top set and had those opportunities and I worked hard I I, I let I, I don't think I was somebody that was just naturally re- really able but I was just I just tried hard and worked hard and it, and it paid off mm. for, for some students they didn't have that, that chance no. there were these weird sort of odd lessons like um something I, I don't know um things where they would be washing dolls. So is it called childcare or? or Blimey. I remember, yeah, yeah. strange sort of um, different sort of watered down opportunities for the subjects we don't have. Especially for the dolls if they're being washed, I suppose. Very <laughs> yeah. watered down. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. Child, oh, I don't know. Is it child development or who, who knows? So. Is, given that you have said that you were involved very much in a lot of top sets that you've read poetry aloud on stage you're involved in the debate club and now we found out you're you're also a recorder impresario <laughs> is there any point in me asking you the question about getting into trouble Teresa or well, do you have a few skeletons in the locker that we should know about no I, I'm I'm pretty much a, the, the kind of I suppose if I see myself now I it's a bit of a tomboy bit of a sort of bit of a nerd really but sort of somebody that that certainly as I went, as I sort of developed through school, had a lot to say, opinion, opinionated enough for um, a tutor, believe it or not, that um, said to me at one point, getting near certainly um, going sort of towards the end of my O-levels, that I would amount to nothing. That I always had too much to say for myself. And I was like, but it didn't upset me. I used to think to myself, well, I'll show you. Like we've all said, haven't we? With mm. thank goodness, it was just very few and far between for those teachers. The vast majority of them we have positive experiences with. But um, the only detention Joe I ever had was in a PE lesson where the fire drill had started. The fire bells had gone. We were outside, but these were in the horrific days where um, the, the so the, the fire bells are going out off. We were in a gym lesson in in the gym, and this is when we did gym, and so we couldn't we didn't have our gym skirts on. We just had these awful kind of gym pants, these big, ugly, navy, sort of massive, sort of horrible things. Um, And I thought, there's no way we're going out there without kind of our little gym skirts you'd have to put around. So a whole group of us ran back into the changing rooms when we're meant to be going outside to kind Mm. of retrieve our pea skirt. And then so we got a detention for that. So that that that's that's about as I bad think, as I as I, I think that's fully afraid. justified, really, isn't it? If a bunch of girls did that oh, now, you'd say, no. "Oh, of course, no problem." You know, that's yes. the right thing to have yeah. done. I <laughs> know oh, it's funny. It's funny, isn't it? So, yes, I I um yeah, and so and getting told off for not for being inside when it was an out of bounds area in the fourth year when they would have been sort of fifteen, but 
No, oh, well. so that's it. I'm afraid. Sorry. So, so, so your 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 report card was was fairly fairly free of uh, of, of notes home. The thing that I'm always yes. intrigued by because it does elicit interesting answers, and you can you can plead the fifth, as my American listeners like to say. Right. Um, were there any awkward teenage crushes throughout your time at school, and uh, do you have any amusing anecdotes about any of these? Uh, well, I actually did have a crush on the aforementioned uh, Mr. Gorman. It has to be said. You did. You did come over a bit starry-eyed when you started did talking I? about did him. I yeah, blush, I, I, yeah, I did. I did. Oh. I did see that. <laughs> it's always the English teachers I find yes, funny. That. Well, I, I actually, um, and it was a sort of a, a crush that myself and my best friend Joanne sort of we shared. We bonded over kind of our <laughs> kind of um, sort of romantic reflections about Mr. Gorman, um, and uh, he. Um, was our teacher, I think, for probably sort of two of those three years in Key Stage Three, and um, he wore he was sort of leading on a production of Romeo and Juliet at the time, and uh, when he'd be practicing the hall and directing it all with them, we used to kind of peek through the windows of the hall, kind of like you know, kind of stalking him really. <laughs> um, and I remember when he'd finished, he had put this lovely display of all the photographs of the different kind of performances and practice. And there was one of him holding a copy of Romeo and Juliet. And it was a really beautiful thing to behold <laughs> there with his kind of like dashing beard and glasses. And I would guess that he was probably, I'd say he's, he was sort of in mid-30s, late-30s. And um, he'd said, um, if anyone was interested in any of the photos, you know, that he'd taken, obviously, as part of it. And um, Joanne and I had sort of kind of appeared at the end of one day and we'd sort of egged each other on to see if we could sort of ask for that photo of him with Rome and Juliet. And we said, oh, would it be all right to have one of those photos, sir? And he said, yes, of course, which ones you want? And I said, well, could we have that one of you? He said, the one of me? Like he was quite a cast. He said, oh, I'm sure you wouldn't really want that one. I was like, well, if you, well, if, if you want, okay. And then handed over, and oh, I've still got that. In oh, a photo wow. Album up in my attic somewhere. Um, we, we must so, track uh, this down if that's okay. Yes, I think that would make, yeah. I think a photo of that photo would make for uh, an interesting. An interesting addition to the to yeah. the Instagram story for this. Uh, it does it does it does change um, a couple of things now because I wonder how old he is now. <laughs> and just doing the maths. No, yes, because if I so let's say he so he would be probably be in his mid seventies, maybe eighty. If he was sort of if he wasn't in my mm. mind, I'm thinking kind of early. 30s and if if he was say 40 so he, he could be 80 now i mean he Blimey. might he might not even still be alive no. i was sad saddened to hear that um a teacher that had been a PE teacher mrs Makin, when i was looking um online and 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 she had actually actually died a couple of years ago oh, that was really saddening to to hear and we've had so much loss haven't we mm. um so mm. it, it it's really lovely to have this opportunity to celebrate the teachers that have influenced us and, and been part of, even in a small little way, hmm. um, the, the people that we become. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. That's a cracking story. Yeah. <laughs> my, my last question is one that you can you can riff on in any way you like, but it's the one that I, I always find gives answers that I don't expect, which is why it's so much fun. And that is that if you had the opportunity to bump into your 16 or 18 year old self as you are now knowing what you know what would you tell him 
what do you think they might want to know and what do you think they might need to know? <laughs> well, um, the, when I was at school, it was days before things like PSHE and the careers um, mm. curriculum that we have. But there, were, there was a particular teacher that must have been head of careers. And when I was thinking about becoming a teacher, um, she had turned around to me and said, you're better than that, Teresa. You could go to university. Um, so these were the days then you needed sort of two E's to go to teacher training college. Mm. Whilst she didn't intend to sort of make a disparaging remark about um, her profession, um, it sort of had the result of sort of discouraging me from going into teaching. But there was something there then that was sort of interesting me about interesting me about career uh, the career of teaching. So I think one bit of advice would have been certainly carry on with your passion for, for studying English, which is what I did at university, but that do pursue a career in teaching because I did come back to it, but I, I, I had spent sort of nearly 15 years as a HR manager and whilst that very much, you know, contributed towards um, the, the skills I was able to implement as a, as a teacher, it, it does make me think, well, could I have been a head teacher by now? Um, what, what would I have done with those, not saying they were wasted years, but um, so perhaps our sort of initial instinct, it's not always right, but in, in, in this case, it would have been. So I would have said to, to have believed in myself from that point of view. Um, I think um, um, I would I would say to myself, Joe, to truly believe in myself and not to add limiting labels on what I felt I couldn't do. Um, you know, there were certain subjects that made me feel I wasn't successful. And I think it, you know, for example, um, going back to my comments uh, about PE, um, maybe I, I could have got into running. I've got into running since 2015. I did the sort of couch to 5K in that year. And in that same year, I did my first half marathon. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm very strong mentally. Um, and I will never, my one of my sort of, mottos life mottos is never give up mm. um and and that's and I'm not a fast runner at all um but I, I just keep going and you know there was something there which you know I did the cross countries that enabled me mm. to feel that you know maybe that's something that could have been nurtured so to have believe in myself and 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 not add those labels of things that you can't do and I think it's not necessarily something to do differently it's more this I would say to the 18 year old Teresa that you should be really proud of yourself mm. um, that um, I'd managed many challenges related to my home life. Um, I, I came from a disadvantaged background with very little support. I was a young carer. And I think the resilience I was able to demonstrate during that time that resulted in, in because of purely my hard work, and and that fortitude I was the first person in my family to go to university mm. and and to really sort of reflect on what an achievement that was to be proud of myself I think that that's plenty to give and um and they'd be very lucky to hear such good advice I think Teresa thank you very much where can people find you on social media if they want to come and see more of your running exploits and also to see the great <laughs> the great work that you do at St Joe's Right. Um, well, I work as um, senior assistant principal at um, St. Joseph's Catholic College in Swindon. So obviously we've got our website there. 
I'm on Twitter. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what the name of it is, but I use my the the title that um, a student gave me several years ago called the Ashenator. Um, so let's have a look. Um, so yeah, Teresa Ash um, at the underscore Ashenator one. It's quite. You are the only one. I know exactly. (laughs) There can only be one. Yes. Um, So yes, that's it. And and I'm um, always grateful of um, the 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 community of teachers that is on on Twitter, and because I think it's an extraordinary way to support one another. You know, particularly during these challenging times. I give a little shout out to Jeff and uh, Jeff and Margaret at Retirement Tales, who are doing a fabulous job uh, coming out of retirement. Um, in their supply work for schools and have really sort of with their um, quirky little quips and um, entertaining th- uh, threads have really lifted all of us since the return uh, to schools in January. Thank you very much, Teresa. Thank you for being a guest on Rice and the Schoolies. Pleasure. Thank you. Take care, Joe. Bye. If you wish to support the pod, you can find me on Twitter at schooliespod or just search Right in the Schoolies. And that's the same for Instagram, Right in the Schoolies under the name Mr. James. Your homework is, of course, as ever, to give me some lovely reviews and some nice feedback. If you know of anybody who you think would want to be on our pod, be they well-known or lesser well-known, but you think that they have some good stories to tell, then get in touch on my social media. Class dismissed.